So glad you joined us. Today we continue, third week, on our summer series called Road Trip. And today we're talking about how we are meant to travel in good company. Nothing makes a road trip better than the right people on the trip with you. I've had the privilege of traveling, doing ministry, and I've seen a lot of beautiful things in different countries in the world. And so often I'm standing there looking at these things and I'm saying, oh, I just wish Vit could see this, or I just wish the kids were here with me. Because when you've traveled together with those that you love, you have that together for the rest of your life. Companions are a very important part of our journey, and the same is true of our faith. None of us were ever meant to travel with Christ alone. We were meant to do it in relationship. We need spiritual companions for life's spiritual journey. Jesus referred to the three priorities. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment and the second commandment. But then, towards the end of his ministry, Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. Love one another. So we have these three imperatives for followers of Jesus. Love God, that's worship. Love your neighbor, that's generosity. Love one another, that's community. All we're to be is wrapped up in those things, and they are all about relationship. Now, this is the primary statement I want you to get. When Jesus said, come follow me, he didn't just invite us into journey with him, he invited us into relationship with one another. And the journey to follow Jesus is impossible without those sacred companions. We're only gonna come to one passage today to look at this profound, all-inclusive concept in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10, gonna begin reading at verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There are two sections to this that we're going to look at. The first section, which is about our relationship with God. And then we're going to talk about five things that are true of spiritual companions. There are five statements, and there are two words at the beginning of each of those statements that remind us that this is all about relationship. What are those two words? Yes, let us. Let us do these things together. So we're gonna use that to talk about five qualities of spiritual companionship. The first section, he says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened up through the curtain that is his body. The writer of Hebrews is using the the veil in the tabernacle and the holy of holies in that tabernacle to talk about 
the relationship with God that is possible for us only because of the work of Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, I've talked about this before, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but just by way of review, in the Old Testament, God had relationship with Israel as a nation, as a people, but not really as individuals. Now, there were those that God would have intimate relationship with, Moses is a good example of that, some of the prophets where God would speak directly. But what was an exception in the Old Testament, in the New Testament is a norm. We all have the Holy Spirit. We all have intimacy with God, and that's what this illustration is about. Your average member of the nation of Israel could never enter into God's presence. It was a very scary place. It was in the Holy of Holies. And what separated God's presence from them was a veil with two cherubim embroidered on it. Not cherubs like our Valentine's cards. Cherubim, warrior class angels, fearsome creatures. The same two angels that are put outside the garden to keep Adam and Eve and humanity from going back into the garden. What they're saying basically is come this far no farther, and only priests could come that far, and only a high priest could go into the holy place beyond that veil, and only once a year. And from everything we can tell, it was always with great fear and trepidation. Don't know how true these stories are, but some of the stories are that they wore a, a rope tied to their ankle, and, and the gathered portion outside the Holy of Holies, so that if they walked in and God found them unworthy to be in his presence, and he struck them dead, the other priest could get him out There were bells around their garments so they could hear that they were still moving around. It was not a a safe place to be in the presence of a holy God. God wanted to change that, but sin, our sin, made us unacceptable to be in God's presence. So what happened when Christ died on the cross, after centuries of this symbol being at the heart of the worship of Israel, the veil in the Holy of Holies. When Christ gave up the ghost, Luke records that that very veil was torn from the top to the bottom, top to bottom, as though, as though God had ripped it out of the way. And then the writer of Hebrews says to us, that veil was the sin barrier between God and man, and when Christ became our sin, and when his body was torn, He made it possible for the barrier between humanity and their creator to be removed. Now, we can come, imagine the difference, we can come boldly into the Holy of Holies, that that place that was once feared. Because we've been cleansed by a new and living way. Not through the old veil, but by the veil which is Christ's body which was torn for us. We enter through that sacrifice the relationship for which we were created is restored because of Christ. That's why the gospel is referred to by Paul as a work of reconciliation, reconciling. We can now be in intimacy with God. And so the first thing we see about spiritual companionship is that we are companions of God in this life. And it's that common relationship with God that allows us to be the five things that we're about to look at for one another. That doesn't mean if you're not yet committed to Christ that you can't experience that from people around you. In fact, if you're here at the journey because you're exploring Christianity, the five things I'm I'm gonna list, hopefully you say, yeah, I see that here. But you can only fully experience and contribute to those relationships 
once you also enter into the holy place of God's presence through Christ. And you can do that today. You can do that right now. Here you can say, I confess my sin. I receive God's forgiveness because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. And because of that, I come. I come to God as his child. And you can really begin to embrace the spiritual friendships we're about to talk about. Five things. These are what friends are for. In good times, in bad times, I'll be on yours forevermore. That's what friends are for. I may have no idea what we're doing here. Anyway, okay. Obviously not connoisseurs of great music. All right, what are friends really for spiritually? We're going to look at five things. The first one comes out of this statement. Let us draw near to God. And what it tells us is that godly friends bring us closer to God. When I think about those people in my life that I most value relationally, they are people that consistently have called me to a closer walk with God. Now, they're not all great spiritual giants of the faith. Some of them have very simple, pure lives, but they had a passion for God. And when I was with them, I wanted God more. That's what a true spiritual companion does. One of the very first people I ever experienced that with was Vitalina, my wife. Our very first uh, date, if you could call it a date, I was a youth pastor at the time and I was looking to recruit some of the Bible college students nearby. I asked her out to talk about the youth group, but of course, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you about the youth group, and by the way, what do you think about me? It was one of those kind of things. <laughs> now, I was raised in a very devout and sincere, but a very conservative Christian faith, and the Bible college we went to was quite a strict Bible college. I knew a lot about God, but I didn't really have a passion for God. Almost all of the girls and guys that attended that Bible college had grown up in those same circles. And girls that I would take out on dates, we didn't talk about Jesus on our dates. We talked about Jesus all day in our classes. We didn't talk about Jesus on our dates. It's like a recess from it. Vit came to our Bible college as a reasonably new Christian. She came to Christ through a friend, and her coming to that Bible college was a pretty miraculous work of God because her parents didn't understand that decision and had different ambitions for her. Even though they were very devout Catholics, they didn't understand the world Vit had come into. And so for Vit to end up at that Bible college was a great miracle for her. She was new in her faith, and everything was precious. And I sat across that table at, at a diner and listened to a young woman who was really in love with Jesus. And I love Jesus more, sitting at that table with her. I love Jesus more. And I was hooked. And we were married eight months later. It all happened pretty fast. We were engaged three months later, but we knew like a week later. I kind of knew that night. It's one of those things. It took her a little longer to be convinced. Vit was a beautiful girl, but it was her heart that made me want to love God more. And I wanted to be around somebody like that. Not only do you need that kind of person in your life, you need to be that person for others around you if you're a Christian. So ask yourself, 
When people are around me, do they want to be closer to God because they're with me? Ask yourself, who do you have that's a part of your social structure that moves you closer to God? Doesn't have to be the same person you go to the beach with. Spiritual companions don't even have to be the same age or have the same job or the same education. That's not the point of spiritual companionship. I've had spiritual companions that were in their late 80s and some of our young adults now that are in their early 20s inspire me to be more like Jesus. The second thing that friends are for is based on that phrase, let us hold unswervingly to the hope or the faith we profess. And that tells us that godly friends help you grow in your faith. We are stronger in our faith because we share it with one another. Give each other the freedom to explore the truth and to wrestle with the reality of it in our lives. There is a a strength that comes when we believe for one another. I've had different experiences where my faith was really shaken. Not to say that I was abandoning God or Jesus, but I, I was shaken up. And other people came alongside me and believed for me that God was going to God was going to bring good in the situation. It was those companions who were my faith because they believed for me when my faith was weak. We we are meant to do that for one another. How many of you would say that you you have people like that that help you grow in your faith, become stronger in what you believe? Yeah, I hope that's true. A third thing that godly spiritual companions are for is based on that next phrase. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And in that we learn that godly friends inspire us to be better people. Let's take this section apart. It says, first of all, let us consider. The word there means to think upon, to proactively imagine on behalf We are to spend time thinking about each other. How can this person be better? How can I help them grow? Wouldn't it be awesome if they did this or grew in this or if they saw this about themselves? I love that thought. Consider how we might, and then the next phrase is to spur on, or your translation might be provoke. It's almost like when you're on a trail ride with horses that have all done the same thing for so long that they walk along and stop when they want. You want to provoke them and you kick a little bit and they get awake and they begin moving forward. It's that idea of sometimes our spiritual friends need a godly kick in the pants. (laughs) You know? This form of spurring one another on can come in all different ways. One of the things that we should do more, it's undervalued and it's very important, is to bless each other with what we see in each other, to fan to a flame the gift of God in each other, as Scripture says, by saying, I'm always blessed when you do this. You should do that more because I think God's given you a ministry there, a work to do, an encouragement. But sometimes, it's about speaking the truth in love to one another. Only friends have earned the right to say, can I share with you an observation? I don't know what's going on in your mind, I don't presume to judge, but this is what I'm seeing. What do you think that's about? 
See, when you speak the truth in love, you don't come at somebody condemning or prejudging where things are coming from because frankly, you don't really know everything. You might be frustrated by something you see or you might see somebody getting themselves in a deeper situation because of blind spots in their life, but you don't know their heart and you are not God. And so when you come to speak the truth in love to someone, you must always do it humbly. That's called assertiveness. That's what speaking the truth in love is. Many of us are so afraid to do that, we're afraid that we'll hurt or offend or we don't trust ourselves. We need to speak to each other, but we need to learn to do it in a way that helps them feel safe about looking and seeing if there's some truth there. Let's say this verse together from Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. That's what real friends do. We're willing to take the risk by speaking the truth in love. Let's move on to four. Godly friends are faithful at all times. That's that phrase, let us not give up being together. Godly friends do not hastily end relationships because things don't go their way or because things are inconvenient. Godly friends stick around when things are hard. They give grace to one another and they work it through. Godly friendship lasts. It's interesting to watch how our friends react when we're going through crisis. Some people that were your closest friends just drop off. All of a sudden, you're not hearing from them at all. And it's because they just don't know how to deal with that. They become no help to you when you most need it because they're so uncomfortable in that setting. They don't know what to say, so they just check out. Please don't ever do that when your friends are going through it. You don't need to have wisdom. They need those who love them just present in their lives. You show up when the people you love are going through crisis. You just show up. Job's story, he loses everything. You know the story. Just devastating. He's sitting there. Eventually, three friends come. You know what they do for three whole days? They just sit with them. And then they start talking, and that's when it gets bad. (laughs) They're at their very best when they just showed up and wept with them. Henry Nouwen, great quote about spiritual friendships. When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, We often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice or solutions or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the reality of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. We're all called to be that type of spiritual companion to one another, believing with them, weeping with them, rejoicing with them. And then the final thing he talks about, let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. And that is that godly friends cheer for us. We root for one another. One of the things I try to be as a pastor is that. I root for people when they're trying things. I love watching people make great attempts. 
For a while, we called our youth group that. We were trying to come up with a name for our youth group. We were just trying things. Sometimes they work great. Sometimes they fail. And we decided to call ourselves the great attempt. Right, David? The great attempt. I love watching people make a great attempt for God. We need to cheer each other on just for trying. It's so easy to criticize because we have such high standards and expectations in today's entertainment world. We should bless people for just trying. I um, played sports in junior high and high school and in college. I got to play uh, intercollegiate basketball and soccer. My dad came to every practice in high school. A lot of dads can't do that. But my dad was a pastor, and he would schedule his life around that. He came to every practice. He saw me when I went out for football for two weeks as a freshman. Five foot ten, 120 pounds. He saw as Jimmy Plasteris, 243-pound tackle, bent me completely backwards. He took me to the chiropractor twice a week for the next six weeks until I could actually stand straight again. My dad was the only parent at a basketball game in Red Bank during the Watts riots, late 60s. We were a essentially suburban white Jewish school going into an essentially Latino and African-American school. And there was a riot. Police came. My dad saw this giant guy standing there, looking around as fights were happening all over. And my dad thought, if that guy ever grabs anybody, he's going to kill him. So my dad, who's about this tall, came up and was standing on the bleachers behind this guy. And if this guy was going to reach, my dad was going to grab him and say, look, we don't have to fight. Let's figure this out. Found out that he was the state heavyweight wrestling champion. <laughs> my dad would have been at a chiropractor every, every two weeks for six weeks. <laughs> I always had a rooting section. When I started doing concerts, Vit and I traveled for almost 10 years and uh, did gospel concerts. And my mom and dad would show up wherever we were uh, as often as they could in the early days. I never did anything without feeling I was rooted for. It's a great blessing. And we have tried to do that for our kids. Now, not all of us have those parents. Not all of us had that, that blessing. And, and me sharing that sweet memory, I, I'm aware that for some of you, I'm dredging up painful memories because you didn't have that experience. But here's my point. We have it now. We have it with each other. We are to be that for one another. We are to feel like, because we're a part of this church, I've always got a cheering section. I've always got people rooting for me to be more, to do more, to rise, to try. When I fail to get up and learn and go ahead, there's no failure that's possible because I'm in the grace of Christ. God has accepted me and I'm with others that are always cheering me on, will always show up for my game. My spiritual game. I want to quote in closing that great philosopher, Winnie the Pooh, (laughs) who said to his friend Piglet, here's the quote, if you live to be a hundred, I want to live to be a hundred minus one day, so I never have to live without you. What a great thought. 
that we have that relationship with one another that we couldn't imagine life without one another. Now, here's where Winnie the Pooh fell short. As great a philosopher as he is, he is not a theologian. Because our kind of friendships last forever, for all of eternity. We will, on the eternal side, look back at the road trip of our life and we will have tremendous memories to share about what God did because we took that trip together. Let's pray. Jesus, our fair companion, who called us to follow you into journey and into faith, thank you that you did not call us on our own, but you called us in good company. Help us, Father, to embrace one another more fully, and in doing that, to be able to embrace you completely. In Jesus' name, amen.